Croatia, located in southeastern Europe along the Adriatic Sea, is known for its stunning coastline, picturesque islands, and historic cities. The country boasts a diverse landscape that includes rocky shores, pristine beaches, and lush national parks. The ancient city of Dubrovnik, with its well-preserved walls and charming streets, is a highlight. Inland, you'll find rolling hills, vineyards, and historic towns like Split, with its Roman influence. Croatia's rich culture, heritage, combined with its national beauty, makes it a popular destination for travellers, seeking both relaxation and exploration. Behind the somewhat idyllic persona that the modern country has now, its history has an uglier face. The evils of war shone light on this face during the wars of Yugoslavia, which showed the lengths that some can go to in a bid for independence and retribution. As ethnic cleansing and war crimes prevailed throughout that conflict. Before all of this pain and torment, there was an earlier scar, a scar that has been forgotten or well hidden, a scar that has festered behind the many taboos that arose during the Second World War, a scar that not even the Nazis themselves could contain once they'd opened Pandora's box. Hi everybody and welcome back to the Dark History Podcast where we explore the darkest parts of human history. Hope everybody is well. I'm Rob, your host as always. Welcome to the new episode, The Eustacia, World War II's Forgotten Evil. Yeah, this one is going to be dark, and I mean very dark, so the usual obligatory warnings apply. Before we start, I just wanted to say, I'm not one to censor the harsh truth of the topics that I have covered. I have become somewhat desensitised to what I read and research, but this one is horrendous. If you are continuing this episode, I will begin. During World War II, Croatia was part of the Axis powers and had established the Independent States of Croatia, or the NDH, in 1941, under the leadership of the Eustacia regime. The NDH was a puppet state allied with Nazi Germany and fascist Italy. The Eustacia government pursued a policy of extreme nationalism and ethnic cleansing, targeting Serbs, Jews, Roma and other minority groups. I know what you're thinking. Rob, this is no different to any other fascist ideology from the time. And in some respects you'd be right. But the depths of evil this government went to had the Nazis cutting ties with their own creation because they were so extreme. So without further ado, please sit back and relax next to the fire for more dark history.
World War I spelt the end of many empires on both sides of the divide. The Russian Empire was plunged into the Russian Revolution in 1917, which led to the downfall of the Russian monarchy and the establishment of the Bolshevik government. The defeat of Germany in World War I led to the abdication of Kaiser Wilhelm II and the collapse of the German Empire. The Weimar Republic emerged as a democratic government in Germany, but it faced economic challenges and political instability. The war also marked the end of the Ottoman Empire. The empire's territories were divided among European powers and local nationalist movements. The Turkish War for Independence, led by Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, resulted in the establishment of modern-day Turkey as a republic in 1923. One major player in World War I was the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The empire ruled the Balkans in a polyglot mosaic of little states. These states had varying degrees of autonomy, but were all unified under the Habsburg monarchy. The end of the war saw the implosion of Austro-Hungary. The empire's multi-ethnic structure couldn't withstand the nationalist aspirations of the various populations, culminating in the creation of several successor states, including Austria, Hungary, Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia. Croatia became part of the newly formed Kingdom of Serbs, Croats and Slovenes, later known as the Kingdom of Yugoslavia. This kingdom was a multi-ethnic state composed of several South Slavic nations including Serbs, Croats, Slovenes and others. Croatia's identity within this larger entity underwent a shift as the country adjusted to the new political landscape. Croatia retained a degree of autonomy within the kingdom with its own ban or government and sabar parliament. However, tensions between different ethnic groups and centralisation efforts by the government in Belgrade led to conflicts and challenges in defining Croatia's role and identity within the kingdom. Throughout the inner war period, Croatia's political landscape was marked by debates over centralisation versus regional autonomy. The economic and social conditions were often difficult for the population, and political parties representing various interests competed for influence. In Croatia, one of the most successful right-wing factions to arise was the Croatian Peasant Party. This party combined a moderate religious bend with soft nationalism and traditional blood and soil ideas. Members were intolerant of Serbian citizens, who were in conflict with Croatians following the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. One former member of this party, Anti Pavlic, took the cause of Croatian independence a bit further than most. He would become the face of the ultranationalist organisation that would terrorise Serbs, Roma and Jews in the coming decade.
Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Andy Pavlich was born in Bredina, Bosnia, in 1889. He was best known for his roles as the head of the independent state of Croatia during World War II. Pavlic was a lawyer by profession and became a prominent figure in Croatia's nationalist and separatist circles. Based on a blend of Roman Catholicism and fascism, the group had no qualms about using genocide and terror to reach its ultimate goals of creating an independent and purely Croatian state free of Yugoslavian influence. As such, the group orchestrated several bombings and an attempt on the life of Croatia's and Yugoslavia's king, Alexander, who was struggling to temper the tensions between Croatia and Serbia by unifying them under his crown. Pavlic had fled to Italy to form the group covertly, but in 1929, the Yugoslavian court sentenced him to death in absentia. Pavlic was sentenced to death again in 1932, but succeeded in assassinating King Alexander two years later. Under tremendous pressure from foreign protesters, Italy begrudgingly locked Pavlic up for 18 months. Even while he was in prison, Pavlic was making progress in his nationalist Ustasha revolution. The Italians allowed him virtually unlimited contact with the outside world, which he used to direct terrorist activities inside of Yugoslavia. In 1935, a Croat national party rose to power, which Pavlic felt justified in taking credit for. When he was released in March of 1936, Still finding Italy's official relationship with his movement chilly, Pavlic travelled to Germany and made an effort to win the support of Hitler himself. As part of the process, the German Foreign Office asked him to draft a statement of his beliefs to gauge how close he was to the Nazi ideology. In his statement, Pavlic wrote, Today, almost all banks and almost all trade in Croatia is in the hands of the Jews. All the press in Croatia is in Jewish hands. This Jewish Freemason press is constantly attacking Germany, the German people and National Socialism. All enemies, Pavlic voicified, all Serbs, Jews and Gypsies should be slaughtered. But Pavlic was too radical for even Hitler who wanted the Balkan states to remain neutral allies in his regime. As such, Pavlic was forced to take the Ustashi underground, under the surveillance of Benito Mussolini and the Italians. But under Pavlic's leadership, the Ustasha movement gained momentum, 
advocating for Croatia's independence and promoting extreme nationalism. The Nazi invasion of Yugoslavia, also known as the April War, occurred in April 1941. This was the final solution that the German war machine had come to after Yugoslavia had signed the Tripartite Pact with Nazi Germany in March 1941. However, a military coup took place in Belgrade on March 27th, overthrowing the pro-German government. The coup led to a period of political instability, which the Axis powers used as a pretext for their invasion. On April 6th, German forces, supported by Italian, Hungarian and Bulgarian troops, launched a coordinated invasion of Yugoslavia from multiple directions. The Yugoslav military, disorganised and internally divided, struggled to mount an efficient defence. The Luftwaffe initiated heavy raids, targeting key Yugoslav cities and infrastructure. The bombing campaigns significantly weakened Yugoslav defences and disrupted communications and transportation networks. Despite some pockets of resistance, the Yugoslav defence quickly crumbled under the overwhelming force of the Axis invasion. The Yugoslav government sought an armistice on April the 17th and the country officially surrendered shortly after. Following the surrender, Yugoslavia was divided among the Axis powers and their allies. Germany and Italy occupied most of the country, while Bulgaria annexed part of Macedonia and Serbia, and Hungary occupied regions in the north. The invasion and ultimate surrender of Yugoslavia to Nazi Germany brought about a headache for the invading force. Although they preferred to install a puppet government, that had the public support. The popular Croatian political leader, Vladko Mecek, refused to collaborate. So they had no choice but to install the extreme Pavlic as the leader of the new independent state of Croatia. Pavlic and the Ustasha wasted no time settling scores all over the country. Within days of taking power, he'd signed a decree protecting Croatian national property that nullified contracts with Jews. A few days later, he signed another decree that gave the Ustasha power to impose immediate executions on anybody found having natural interests that could include being Jewish or Serbian. Immediately after that, the Ustasha passed an economic reform package that eliminated state and local governments, which effectively turned tens of thousands of Serbs and Jews who had worked in local politics into jobless refugees. Pavlic wasn't done yet. The philosophy of the Ustasha was violently pro-Croatian, the way the Nazis were pro-German, but they were based in strict Roman Catholic values too. As such, Bosnian Muslims were tolerated on the grounds that their religion kept the Croat bloodline pure, while Jews who converted to Catholicism 
were allowed to claim honorary Croatian status. Unconverted Jews, however, along with Orthodox Serbs, were considered enemies of the state. Communists and partisans of all political, religion and ethnic stripes were considered as such as well. By the end of 1941, the Ustasha had rounded up, shot, strangled, or beaten to death perhaps a hundred thousand of these people. Children were blinded, their eyes gouged out, or hacked to death with shovels. Men were hung upside down and castrated before being strangled or mauled by dogs. Some units allied with the Axis powers, such as the Franco's Spanish volunteers, even asked to be assigned to fighting fronts near Leningrad to get away from the service near the Ustasha death squad. Everybody in the country, who even looked like a communist, was killed, or interred in a labour camp, while the police, and judges who previously harassed the Ustasha members, disappeared overnight. One of the Ustasha tools of fear was the concentration camp. Although no concentration camp was pleasant, the Ustasha camp stand out among a sea of darkness. The Yasanovac camp was situated in a remote anonymous landscape, which was built in August of 1941, and it was a place of unspeakable horror for thousands of men and women. Inside the camp, a bleak collection of barracks and watchtowers created an atmosphere of despair. The very architecture seemed to exude a sense of malevolence, as if the structures themselves bore witness to the atrocities that took place within their walls. The camp's purpose was to strip away the humanity of its victims. Inmates endured forced labour, unbearable conditions, and relentless torment. The horrors inflicted upon them was beyond comprehension, reflecting the depths of human cruelty. Conditions in the Yasanovic camps were horrendous. Prisoners received minimal food. Shelter and sanitation facilities were totally inadequate. Worse still, the guards cruelly tortured, terrorised and murdered prisoners at will. This camp had one mission, and that was the extermination of Jews, Serbs and Roma. Guards would bet amongst themselves who could kill the most people, the record being 1,360 men, women and children. One guard recounted his torture of an old man named Vukasim Mandrapa. He attempted to compel the man to bless Auntie Pavlic, which the old man refused to do even after he cut both of his ears off and nose after each refusal. Ultimately, he cut out the old man's eyes, tore out his heart and slashed his throat. The camp's brutality was notorious, with various methods of execution such as shootings, beatings and the use of sharp tools. Inmates were subjected to extreme violence and sadistic experiment. Even children and babies weren't safe from these people, 
Some of their most horrific crimes were burning babies in front of their parents, mangling kids from 0 to 14 years old with axes, and raping girls in front of their parents. These evil fuckers had separate camps just for children. The children, ranging from newborn to 14 years old, were separated from their parents and sent to these separate concentration camps. When some of these children arrived at the camp, the children were exhausted and virtually naked. Their appearance was skeletal. Many had swollen bellies due to malnutrition, thin pale faces and teeth falling out. Almost all were suffering from severe diarrhoea and most had multiple diseases. Some children died in the effort of simply getting up. The children had to sleep on floors with only a thin layer of straw covered in their own feces. These children had no food, no water and they were riddled with lice, disease, malnutrition and were forced into indoctrination classes oversaw by the church. From time to time a man dressed in a black uniform would come with a wheelbarrow to pick up the dead children. The coffins stuffed with as many bodies as possible so much so that it took physical force to close them. By the end of the war an estimated 30,000 Jews 29,000 Roma and between 300 and 600,000 Serbs had been slaughtered by the Eustachia. This was on top of the usual shootings and deportations in the dead of winter that the Eustachia used as supplemental methods. As the zone of German control shrank, the Eustachia found itself scrambling for a safe haven. The Eustachia fought their last European battle in World War II on May the 9th 1945 against partisans near the Austrian border after which the entire force withdrew in an effort to find the British units to surrender to. The British who had heard more than they would like to about the Eustachia activities refused the surrender and told the men to go and give themselves up to the predominantly Serbian partisans. A total of 40,000 Eustachia members did just that, whereupon the partisans machine-gunned every single one of them and tossed their corpses into a ditch. However, the Eustachia leader, Anti Pavlet, was not found amongst the bodies. Citing their Roman Catholic faith, Pavlic and senior officers appealed to the Vatican for help. Shockingly, despite all of their atrocities, the Catholic Church obliged. Using clerical passports, the escaped Eustachia men made it all the way to Argentina along the infamous German rat line. There, Anti Pavlic lived peacefully under the protection of the Peron regime until 1957, when a Serb partisan caught up with him and shot Pavlic several times in the stomach. Pavlic survived, but Argentina was no longer safe for him, so he moved to Spain. Suffering from uncontrolled diabetes with his wounds still unhealed, 
Former Eustache leader, Antti Pavlinch, died in bed in 1959 at the age of 70. For a man that even the Nazis felt had gone too far, his death was far too easy. Thank you everyone for taking the time out of your day to listen to this extremely dark episode. Exploring this horrific topic made me want to cry and vomit at the same time. Anything to do with the suffering of children gets to me, and I will admit I left out a great deal of the stories of child torture and suffering. The camps and these people were disgusting, and I would say hell is too good of a place for them. These people were so extreme, one SS leader called them beasts and commented how brutally they murdered conscription aid males and helpless old people, women and children. This is the Gestapo, a police force that were known for their brutality, and they were too much for them. Nazis actively asked not to be near them. Another part of this was Anti Pavlich, the leader of it all. The man who pulled the strings of these hordes of demons. His legacy is highly controversial. Believe it or not, some people see him as a nationalist hero who fought for Croatian independence. How? How can you condone a man who doesn't just kill children, actively makes them suffer beforehand? Yes, the argument will be, well, it happened to our children and he did something about it. But did he? Did he really? Or did he just use the mask of independence as a way to settle his own scores? As for the church's involvement in the camps and his escape? Well what can I say? If that is the act of God's representatives on earth, then he's no God of mine. Luckily, many others view him as a war criminal and responsible for the suffering and death of numerous innocent people during his time in power. As for the concentration camps, so far, 83,145 names of victims have been collected. At least 39,570 men, 23,474 women, and 20,101 children under the age of 14 died and that's just at the Yasanovac camp. However, the final number is estimated to be much higher, and it's likely that some of the victims' names will never be known. Anyway, please drop us a review on this show. It helps the podcast out. If you think friends and family may be interested in the podcast, then share it with them. Links to all socials are below. Don't forget... If you want to support the channel, the link to the show's Patreon is below also. I hope you will be able to support the show, but if not, that's completely fine. As always, if you've been listening for a while and not subscribed, please do it. In that way, you never miss an episode. So with all that out of the way, thanks again for listening. Join us next time for our next episode as we delve into another event and more Dark History.